Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Gary Ellard here at Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. Have you ever felt like everything in life was a mess and there was nowhere to turn? Do you wonder if God is really in control? Sometimes even Christians who profess to believe have doubts, especially in the midst of trying times. Pastor Gary turns to the book of Job and asks us if we really believe what the Bible says about God and his promises. This morning, my subject is knowing that God is in control. Most of us, we will say that we believe that, that God is in control. But some of us have come to times in our life where we wondered whether he was in control or not. I certainly have come to that point many times in my life. But have you, ever, have you ever come to the point in your life where you thought to yourself, there's nowhere to turn. Um, it's just like you're hanging on to your last thread. Um, you came to the place that your nerves were almost to the end. Now, <clears throat> I think that each one of us, every one of us have been there a time or two. And if you have, you know exactly how Job felt. His health and his wealth was all taken away. His children's lives were taken and his wife's life was taken. His friends were a major discouragement to him. And he was barely hanging on. And when you read the book of Job... You sort of identify with him in a lot of different places. In Job 19.2, Job says here, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? And in verse 6, he says this, Know then that the Lord has wronged me and has closed his net around me. In verse 7, it says, Behold, I cry violence, but no answer. I shout for help, and there is no justice. At times, some of us have come to the place in our life where we felt that way. We felt that there was no justice. We felt that maybe God has wronged us. Why am I going through what I'm going through? So if we go back to the beginning... Job says here in Job 1, 7 through 12, the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth, walking around on it. And then he said, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. Fearing God and turning away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has 
he will surely curse you to your face. And then the Bible says in verse 12, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now, here we find <clears throat> that God tosses Job's name into the ring. Satan doesn't bring it up. God does. Have you thought about my servant Job? Now, God defines the limits of the devil's access into Job's life. You can take all that he has, but you can't take his life. So God remains fully in control. No question that Satan is powerful, but limited by the boundaries of a sovereign God. What is it that Satan wants to do to you? I mean, you've given your life to Christ. He knows that you're safe and secure. So what does Satan want with you? Well, what he wants is he wants to destroy your trust in God. That's all he wants to do, just to destroy your trust in him. In Genesis 3, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gave them everything that they needed. But there's one thing he didn't give them, and that is they could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what does Satan do? He says, God's not good to you. He's withholding something from you. He knows that if you eat of that forbidden fruit, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. <clears throat> and, they, and then when Adam, when Adam gave in and believed the devil, accepted the lie, Satan says that, well, he only serves you now. He only serves you because what you've done. And that's what Satan does to us. The Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. And so what he does, he accuses us of not believing God. You call yourself a Christian, he says, and you do this and you do that. You call yourself a Christian and you don't care about this or you don't care about that. He wants to do everything he possibly can to get us to mistrust him. In Matthew 4, in verse 3, the Bible says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. If you are the Son of God. He wanted to put that doubt in Jesus' mind whether he was the Son of God. If you are, and then he said in verse 6, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And then in verse 9, and he said to him, All these things will I give you, if you fall down and worship me. Now, <clears throat> here is what Satan does to try to destroy our trust in him. He causes hostility 
and he causes division among God's people. And you look at it today, you look at the Christian world today, Christianity is not a pretty picture. We have over 300 different denominations today, all proclaiming that this is the truth and you're to walk in it. In the garden, the devil says that God is not good. He's holding back. In heaven, Satan's talking to God. He says, you're too good to them. That's why they serve you. If you take it all away, they will curse you. And they will not serve you. On the earth, in the temptation of Jesus, Satan says, I'll be better to you. He says to Christ, I will be better to you than your father God. I will give you all that you want of this earth. Satan says the same about you. He says the only reason that you, you serve God is because of the promises that he's given you. And yet there are many Christians who do not even believe the promises. But when the world came at Job and Satan smote him with boils, we find Job cursing the day he was born. In Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. Now this is Job speaking. God knows the way, knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. As a child of God, we know that God never changes, but our circumstances do. And they change over and over and over again. And when we allow our disappointments, our unbeliefs, Disbeliefs, I should say. And we, and we sort of pour out some of the anger that we have because things don't go right and because of circumstances. We come to the conclusion. After all is said and done, when bad things happen to good people, when bad things happen to those that are born again, we come to that conclusion that, you know, all things are going to be all right. All things are going to work out. And somehow the Holy Spirit brings that text to our mind that he's going to see us through everything. Because all things work for good for those who love God. All things. Bad things. Good things. All things work for good for those who love God. Job said that I came into this world empty-handed and I'm going to leave empty-handed. The Lord gave, he said, and the Lord takes away. He looked at his possessions as from God. I wonder how many of us look at our possessions as from God, as they have been a gift from God. I can remember a minister in Chicago he viewed everything he had as a gift from God and that he was just the caretaker of it. Now, <clears throat> he was going down the Eisenhower Expressway in Chicago. 
If anybody's been down that, that Eisenhower Expressway, it's a madhouse. And he was going, and somebody came up and rear-ended him and threw him into the guardrail and everything, and it was a mess. He got out of his car. He looked at the damage that was done, and this is what he said, and he said it out loud. He said, Lord, look what happened to your car. He was so convinced that it was God's and not his. Well, <clears throat> for the next week and a half, instead of getting a car rental or anything, he decided that he was just going to take the bus to the office. And he was taking the bus every day for about a week and a half. And then one day, a, a man came to see him. This man had heard about his accident. He didn't attend his church or anything, but he heard about the accident. And he came to his office one day and he said, he introduced himself and he said that uh, God has laid on my heart to give you a car. And so he reached in his pocket and he pulled out and he set the keys on his desk. He reached into his coat pocket and pulled out the title and put it down. And it ended up that this man, he was the owner of the Cadillac dealership right outside of, out of, out of Chicago by Hinsdale. And he gave him that car. And uh, after he left, he said, Lord, that was something. You went up. You... You got, a you got me a Cadillac now. He was so convinced that everything he owned was just a gift from God and he was just to take care of it. Now, years ago, <clears throat> I tried that. I wanted to make sure that everything was a gift from God, but no Cadillac man came to my, my home. It's the idea the question that we need to ask ourselves, do we really believe that God is in control of our life? I mean, it's one thing to say it, but do we really believe it? Many well-meaning Christians believe that their faith can cause things to happen. They think that, you know, I've heard people say, I've just got the faith to believe that this is, that this is gonna happen. God wants us to respond to his will and put our faith in what he has already done. Now, you've heard me over and over say that we need to focus on what God has already done for us. Think about it. If we believe our faith can cause God to do something, then what are we saying? In essence, we are saying that we are greater and wiser than God. We know what is good, but we need God to pull it off for us. The health wealth gospel is one of the, one of the major attractions to the name it and claim it. They claim that God wants us to have more money. The social gospel says that we are to give it all up and have less money to be more spiritual. 
But the real gospel says, Jesus Christ is our secret of contentment, whether we have plenty or whether we are in need. It is Jesus Christ. He knows our present, he knows our past, and he knows our future. He knows our hearts, and because he loves us, he has, in, he has initiated a unique plan for our happiness. When we respond to God and learn how to walk by faith in him, we live contented lives that no matter what happens to us, no matter what the circumstances may be, we'll look at that and we'll say to ourselves, God has promised me all things work for good for those who love God. In 2 Peter 1.3, the Bible says this, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So the Bible is very plain. The Bible tells us he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So why would we be seeking any more? You've heard me over and over say, we are as close to God as we'll ever get right now. We're not get closer to him. He lives inside of us. He dwells within us. We have everything that we need. Think about it. Are you willing to trust God? I mean, we trust him with our eternal life. Just under 50% of all Christians believe that when they accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior, they were saved forever. 60 to 65% believe that you can lose your salvation depending on how you react and your performance is. Why do we have such a difficult time to trust God with our lives on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, there's so often times we are so doubtful about how things are going to turn out. When God says to us again, all things work for good for those who love you. We already have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. And yet we have millions of Christians searching to get closer to God. They want that emotional experience. They want something that tells them that they're all right. That God has accepted them. And God has given us every indication that we have everything that we need. We can't get anything by our own self-effort to get more of God. We have him all. He's, he's ours. We're his. He lives in us. We live in him. He has provided us everything. How? How has he provided us everything? Through an understanding of the foundational truth of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ as our light and our guide in life, then it's going to be hard to you 
to access what God has for you. He's already given you everything. Now it's, we have to access it. And how do we access it? By believing. By believing what God says is true. In John 8, 12, the Bible says this. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. God took the initiative to show us his love. When God sent his son at Calvary 2,000 years ago, he died for the sin of the world, the Bible says. So he died there for every sin that will ever be committed. We now know that it's not the sin issue. We know that no one will be lost because of sin, but because of only unbelief. God's truth requires a response. He says that we are to follow him. Jesus is giving us a truth that we need to believe and experience. He came and he knocked on every, do every heart here. He came and he knocked on that heart and we responded. Whatever information we had when we did, we responded. And at that moment, whether you are eight or nine or 10, or whether you're 80, it doesn't make any difference. When you said yes to Christ, there's a certain things that happened to you. He came in. When you said yes to him for whatever reason, he said yes to you. He came in and he gave you everything that you need for life and godliness. He gave it to you all at that moment. We don't access it until we know about it. And then when we know about it, it's all ours. It's ours forever. He has forgiven our sins. He's cast them into the sea. As far as the east is to the west. And he remembers our sins no more. And yet we're worried about sinning. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And yet we're worrying about our behavior. And here we have the Holy Spirit in us who is guiding us, directing us, leading us. And we're worried about our performance. How well we're doing. God took the initiative so that we could see his love. In 1 John 4.10, the Bible says this. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then in verse 19, it says this. We love because he first loved us. I want us to focus on that just for a bit. We love because he first loved us. What has he done for us? that would cause us to love him. He took our sins, he buried them into the depths of the sea, and he remembers them no more. Now, some of you who may have grown up in church, you've heard all your life that you're gonna be accountable to God. 
You've heard that there's going to be a judgment. And you've heard that there's going to be another judgment for Christians to give an account for the gifts that they receive from God. In Revelation 20, that's where we get that, where we will all appear before the judgment bar of God. The judgment is not for Christians. You've already been judged. When you accepted him as your personal savior, you were born again. The Bible says you pass through the judgment. What about the gifts that God has given to you? Are you responsible for the gifts that God has given to you? Listen, you have Christ living in you. He's occupied your space. The more that you understand God's love is going to be your capacity to give love. If we have a foggy idea of love, it's hard for us to give love. We can act like it, like we give it, but it's not coming from our deep core. Jesus is giving us the truth. In this is love, that, that he has loved us. He first loved us. It gives us the capacity to love him. Jesus demonstrated to us this life of faith while here on earth. Remember one thing. When Jesus took on humanity, he could only, he could only act as a man. He couldn't act as God. Only as a man. Now, when Jesus Christ was born, he did not have the propensity, the leaning towards evil. You and I and everybody who was born after Adam had that. He did not have that propensity. Adam didn't have that propensity. That's why the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He did not have that. The Bible says in John 5, 19, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now this is Jesus Christ speaking. The Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And then the Bible says in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. I can do nothing on my own. As I here judge and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He is giving us the secret to living in Christ. In John 12, 49, he says this, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and to what to speak. Jesus healed the sick because the Father told him to. He fed 5,000 
because the Father told him to. He walked on water because the Father told him to. He chose 12 disciples because the Father chose, told him who to choose. Jesus lived in a total dependency upon his Father in every detail. And notice what Paul says now here in Philippians 2.5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Notice what he said. Have this attitude. It's not talking about action. It's not talking about action at all. God has not told any of us, as far as I know, to go and walk on water. God has not told any of us to feed 5,000 people with two loaves and two fishes. God hasn't told us those things, but he told Jesus Christ to do it. Now, the Christian life is to, live, be, is to be lived by faith. Our actions will be an overflow of our attitude. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible says that you have been born again. You are born again. You are a child of God. Your attitude is similar to what Jesus Christ had. Some of you begin your Christian life by responding to the good news of the gospel. I can still remember, I was in a evangelistic meeting when I was 23 years old, and I heard the evangelist give an appeal to give your life to Christ. He painted this picture of Christ dying on the cross for the sins of the world. He would take all of my sins and he would bury them into the depths of the sea. And then when he made that altar call, I felt a tear coming to my eye. And all of a sudden, the emotions overtook me, and I went forward and I gave my life to Christ. I heard the good news of the gospel. I gave my life to Christ because of the good news of the gospel. Now, many of us have started that way. Some of you had that experience, that Damascus experience that Paul had. Some of you have had that Timothy experience. You grew up in the church. Your mother, grandmother taught you. It doesn't make any difference how we came to Christ. The Christian life is to be lived by faith. You have Christ living in you and you'll notice uh, your desires are changing. You're desiring more of the things that Christ desires. And you're not even aware of it. But your desires are changing. Some of you began good. And you heard the gospel message. And you thought, I'll give my life to Christ and Christ will accept me and I'll start a whole new life all over again. And you were born again. Now I know that many of us who were born again, I was one, 
I did not fully understand that Christ was going to give me a new heart. I didn't understand that. I didn't know that he was going to give me a new human spirit. I had no idea of that. I just knew that something was changing inside of me. I felt the freedom, but not for long. Not for long. It wasn't, it was short-lived. Because now people were telling me what I should do now that I've become a Christian. They told me that I should read my Bible every day. They told me now that I was a Christian that I should set aside some quiet time. They told me that now that I've given my life to Christ, I should start paying tithe on my income. And then they told me that because I've given my life to Christ, that I should go out and witness. And they had these little tracks, the four spiritual laws. My freedom was short-lived. For now, all of a sudden, I got a set of rules that I was supposed to do. And then what I was told, that if you'll do these things, your life will change, your love for God will change, and you'll experience the abundant life in Christ. Many of us started that way. And we soon got choked by what we were supposed to do and we didn't do. We started feeling guilty. Condemnation came on us. And yet the Bible says there is therefore no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. But all of a sudden we were feeling the condemnation. We looked at ourselves and we weren't happy with ourselves. And so we started this desperate search to try to find the reality of living out the Christian life. Notice what Paul said to the Galatians when he said, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing that I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have it begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh. Too many Christians are living their life like the Galatians. They started out with a simple faith, believing that God was with them. And then all of a sudden they began to entertain this idea of certain rules and regulations that they had to do to prove that they were born again, to prove that they were Christians. One lady who was praying for a Christian husband, which is good, told God that she wanted somebody who was godly. And then she said to God that she wanted somebody 5'10 or above. And then she said to God, I prefer that he not be overweight, and I prefer that he has a full head of hair. And I asked her, 
why not leave those things up to God? And she quoted me scripture. God said that he would give us the desires of our heart. I'm just telling God this is what I desire. Sometimes we get things a little backwards, don't we? When you are in Christ, God's desires become our desires. It doesn't work the other way around. The Christian life is a life of faith from beginning to the end. The faith in Christ that saved us is the same faith that will grow us. Every one of us are just beginning to learn and to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't know it all. We're just learning. And we're learning to trust him in all circumstances of life, no matter what we are faced with. And it's not through our self-effort. If we think that we are pleasing God because of what we are doing, we are sadly mistaken. God is already pleased with us. That's why he came and he knocked on the door of your heart. And you responded. And that's all he cares about. You responded. And now you're a child of his. In Colossians 2, 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. I don't know about you, but I can just tell you my own experience. Every year, I get more and more excited about what God has done. Every year, I find myself thanking God for just the little things in life. Just the little things. It's an attitude of gratitude. That's what tells us who we are in Christ. The more we understand God's love, the more we experience that overflow of gratitude. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, this is what Paul came to the conclusion. Now I have to remember, Paul has suffered more than any of us. And he says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we say that? Can we believe that? That nothing, nothing will ever separate us Nothing will. You can't do anything that will separate you because you have been born again and it is impossible to get unreborn. You can't do it. 
You have Christ dwelling in you. You have everything that you need for life, everything that you need for godliness. You have it all right now, right now. You could read that Bible from cover to cover every year. It's not going to get you any closer than what you are right now. It's going to tell you every single time you go through the Bible that the whole, that when everything is said and done, the only thing that matters is whether you love. Whether you love God with all of your heart and whether you love your neighbor. That's the acid test. The bigger the picture you get of how much God loves you is your capacity to love others. If your picture is small, you're going to have a hard time loving. If your picture is big, if your picture is full of the fullness of God, you're going to be able to love anybody and everybody. You may not like everybody, but you've got the capacity to love everybody. You can love them because of who they are, not who you think they are. Paul says that he's convinced. I need to ask myself the question, am I convinced? Am I convinced that everything that I have, God has given me, it's really not mine, it's his. Am I really convinced of that? If I am, it's going to be easier for me to share what I have with others. It's going to be a whole lot easier. But if I believe that everything is mine, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard for me to separate with things that I really like. And do I believe, do I really believe that nothing can separate me from God? Nothing. If we do, it's true. Nothing can. Nothing can. If we don't believe it, our life will show it. Our life will be up and down and all around. And God is saying, you can trust me, it's true. It's true. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We're thankful that every one of us here have made our choice. And you're our choice. We're thankful for what you have done in us and what you're willing to do through us. We are thankful, Father, that you found us. And we're thankful that you demonstrated your love to us, enabling us to want to come every week in fellowship, enabling us to treat each other with every bit of respect and love that we can muster. We're thankful, Father, that you have given us the direction in our life to be content, knowing that all things work for good for those who love you. And this morning, each of us here say from our heart, Lord, we love you. Bless us now, I pray. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening to this message from Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.gracebiblefellowshipchurch.org.